right, welcome my friends. Welcome once again to Corbett Report Radio. This is your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you as always from the sunny climes of Western Japan. So wherever in the world you're listening to me right now, especially those on KHFX 1140 AM in Dallas, Fort Worth, thank you so much once again for investing your time and your mental energies in Corbett Report Radio. And I hope I won't let you down with a very interesting conversation that we have lined up for tonight. But just before we get into that, I would like to once again remind all the listeners out there who may have caught Richard Grove, who guest hosted for me while I was away earlier this month. And uh, he guest hosted with Paul Verge and Tony Myers of TragedyandHope.com back on the 11th of February. And during that time, they were talking about the ultimate history lesson, A Weekend with John Taylor Gatto, an excellent new uh, documentary interview, uh, a synopsis uh, breakdown of the education or miseducation system in America that they've just released. And for people who are interested in that, details of how to purchase it, again, are available from that archive show on CorbettReport.com slash radio. Again, that was broadcast number 67. So if you want to dip back into the archives for that, that link is still good. And let me thank everyone who has purchased through that link so far, because everyone who uses the special RBN coupon code that uh, Richard Grove mentioned during that broadcast does get a, uh, a, a discount and does actually, that those funds do help to uh, support the Corbett Report as well. So very much appreciated to all those people who have purchased that highly recommended interview. And uh, once again, it's available both in DVD and Blu-ray. But tonight, as I mentioned, we have an extremely interesting conversation lined up for you. We're going to be talking to Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. Once again, this is an extremely valuable resource for anyone out there who has not yet checked out fluoridealert.org. All sorts of information about what is really being put into our tap water. And of course, uh, we were talking just last, uh, last Friday on this program about controlling the food and controlling the people. Well, if you control the water supply... You also control the people to a large extent, and it is a really forced medication that's going on here with this uh, this idea of fluoridating the water supply. So we're going to be plumbing the depths, as it were, of this issue and getting into some real technical detail as well with Dr. Conant, who has been researching this for many years now. So first of all, right off the bat, Dr. Conant, thank you so much for coming on to, with us tonight. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks, James. It's um, happy to be back. Yes, indeed. Well, for those listeners out there who don't know, I have talked to Dr. Conant before on CorbettReport.com for an interview that we did for the website, but this is your first time on Corbett Report Radio, so we just have a couple of minutes here before the first break. Why don't you introduce yourself and a little bit about your background? Yes, um, I got my first degree in Cambridge University in England and my PhD in chemistry from Dartmouth. I taught uh, chemistry at St. Lawrence University in Canton, New York, from 1983 to when I retired in 2006, and my speciality was environmental chemistry and toxicology. It wasn't at the beginning. Uh, my speciality was biochemistry. But after about a year and a half at St. Lawrence, I got involved with the battle against a local incinerator. And that involvement with waste management has taken me to 49 states in the United States, seven provinces and one territory in Canada, and 53 other countries. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Serbia. Um, And 16 years ago, uh, when I was trying to wonder how I was going to balance the demands of teaching chemistry at a university and going traveling nearly every weekend and every holiday to help communities somewhere on the incineration and alternatives, issue. My wife said, 
would you read these papers? And those papers, of course, turned out to be on fluoridation. Um, and John Lennon said it very well. He said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. That's the story of my life. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to that. It's not what you're uh, looking for necessarily that becomes a, a driving passion in our lives. But nonetheless, it is an important cause to take up. So we will return after this break with more with Dr. Paul Conant of FluorideAlert.org. Stay tuned right there. Broadcast friends, you are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting, and I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight, we're honored to be joined by Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network at FluorideAlert.org. Once again, if you haven't checked into this website, I cannot recommend it strongly enough for those who want to understand about fluoridation and the dangers thereof, because there is just a ton of information, great resources. All sorts of uh, links to uh, as much uh, scientific information as you can handle. Also information about how you can get involved and what you can actually do to help turn the tide against the fluoridation of the water supply. Something that is happening more and more in some, well, hardening news uh, for for a change. Well, I don't want to put it that way. I, I want to be optimistic. Certainly we can affect change, and I think this is one issue in which people have, have been having a huge effect in the last few years especially, so I want to get into that later in the broadcast with Dr. Conant. But first of all, Dr. Conant, we were just before the break, we were talking about your own personal story and how you got involved with this issue, and you were talking about how your uh, wife basically inadvertently got you involved in this issue. So perhaps you can tell us a little more what sparked your scientific interest and curiosity in fluoridation. Well, she put those papers on my desk and said, would you read these? I said, what? What is it? She said, fluoridation. I said, take those papers away. These people are crazy. But she persuaded me to read them because that evening the village was going to make a decision on whether to continue fluoridation or not. So I didn't want to, and my attitude when I started to read these papers was to get rid of the issue as quickly as, as possible, get my wife off my back on this. And when I started to read these papers, I was I was... Uh, shocked, and I was embarrassed. Embarrassed that I had been hoodwinked by this nonsense that the people opposed to fluoridation are a bunch of crazies. There's no science uh, against it, or, or and so on. And and shocked because of facts like the level in mother's milk, for example, that was a biggie. The level in mother's milk is incredibly low, 0. 0.004 parts per million. Remember, we fluoridate at one part per million. So a bottle-fed baby in a fluoridated community is getting 250 times more fluoride than nature intended. And so do you think that dentists, a bunch of dentists, know more about what the baby needs than nature itself? No, I didn't think so. Secondly, even though fluoride from a chemical perspective is fairly unreactive as a chemical, biologically it's extremely active. And then I guess the third fact, which is extraordinary when you know that they put in this stuff in the drinking water, is that there's no known biological process in the body that requires fluoride. Nothing. Nothing in the body says, give me fluoride to work. It's not an essential nutrient. On the other hand, there are many processes which are 
damaged by fluoride, interfered with by fluoride. Enzymes, of course, enzymes, many enzymes are inhibited by fluoride, and that's why the first opponents of fluoridation were, in fact, biochemists who used it in their experiments. And today we know much more. It interferes with G proteins uh, and uh, causes oxidative stress, all kinds of things. Um, so you're on a hiding to nothing from a biochemical perspective to put fluoride in the drinking water at 250 times the level in mother's milk, knowing that there is no scientific evidence that it's going to do any good to anything inside the body, and it might well do a lot of harm. And even now the promoters of fluoridation admit that fluoride's effect, its benefit, is topical. It works on the outside of the tooth. And so exactly why right. Uh, I mean, that's something that really strikes me, and I'm sure a lot of people, when they start looking into this, instead of just knee-jerk dismissing the issue, as, as yourself and many others do when they first encounter it, one of the things that really strikes them is that the, the effects are admitted to be topical. So why on earth are we being encouraged to ingest this? I mean, I've heard it referred to as, as being akin to as being asked to drink sunscreen in order to protect <laughs> your, your, yourself from a, a, a sunburn. Is that a, a reasonable analogy? Yeah, it, it is, absolutely. And when the Center of Disease Control, Oral Health Division, which is the big promoter of fluoridation in the United States, they're actually an adjunct to the American Dental Association, they're, that's how they behave. Uh, when they admitted that in 1999, that should have been the end of fluoridation right there. If it works topically, you've got fluoridated toothpaste out there, it's universally available, brush it on your teeth and spit it out. You don't don't swallow it and force it on every tissue in the body, knowing that it's a toxic substance. And also, by putting it in the water, of course, you're forcing it on people that don't want it. And uh, that is enough for many people to absolutely oppose fluoridation, to be forced to take medication without their informed consent. It's a violation of medical ethics, period. Uh, and no doctor can do what a whole community is doing when they fluoridate the water. No doctor can do to an individual patient what the community is doing, namely force a population to take uh, medicine, force the individual to take a medicine. Well, that's right, and, and to me that's the real heart of this issue because it fundamentally comes down to that even if we were asked to believe that somehow ingesting fluoride was going to be beneficial for us in any way and did not have all of these harmful health effects that it demonstrably does, it still it, it comes down to the, the fundamental issue of can uh, basically just by government fiat, can they just simply force Medicaid an entire population without regard to all of the very variables that uh, of course have to be taken into account when prescribing medication such as the age and weight and sex and all of that of the, the person involved, which, of course, yeah. cannot be done through something yeah. like the water supply. So, of course, it comes down to a fundamental civil liberties uh, uh, issue, and even worse than that, it sets a terrible precedent for what could be done with other types of uh, things that the government deems necessary in the future. But before we get into those issues, perhaps we should dwell a little on the health effects because uh, there are, again, I would direct people to fluoridealert.org where there are, there's a breakdown by a kind of effect from allergy to arthritis, bone disease, brain, cancer, dental fluorosis, gastrointestinal, infant exposure, immune system, kidney, pineal gland, reproductive, thyroid gland, an entire list of things that are disrupted or harmfully uh, affected by this 
well, forced medication. But one of the things that strikes me, and I think a lot of people, is one of the most uh, insidious is the effects, the demonstrable effects on IQ. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about that. On the what, sorry? Uh, I- IQ, the intelligence. IQ, yes. Yes, indeed. That's what the, been the issue for me. Uh, it's a red-hot button for me. One of my earliest pollutants that I was in, interested in, go, uh, going back to the 1970s, was lead. And uh, I, I followed the debate from the scientists who said um, lower. They knew that large doses of lead caused brain damage in children, but the argument about was about subclinical levels of lead. Would they damage the the child's mental development? And of course, the, the gasoline industry, which is putting lead in gasoline, the lead industry um, said, no, 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 no. There's no way. It's only large doses which cause problems. Well, now we know, of course, that there's practically no safe level of lead as far as the child's mental development is concerned. And I think that what's happening here is that fluoride is following that same trajectory. We've got over a 100 animal experiments which shows that fluoride can enter the brain, can concentrate in the brain, can damage the brain, can change behavior in animals. That's pretty clear-cut. And then we have now... 25 studies which indicate an association between lowered IQ in children and not such a high dose. Um, one of the ways that this program protects itself in the fluoridated communities, they just don't bother to repeat studies done in countries which are unfortunate enough to have high natural levels of fluoride in their water, like China, like India, like Iran, like Mexico. This is where the IQ studies are coming from. And the promoters of fluoridation in this country and other fluoridated countries, of which there are not many, uh, attack the methodology of these studies, but never, never attempt to reproduce the studies in their own fluoridating countries, and giving me the, the belief that they are far more interested today in protecting this program than they are in protecting the health of the people. And when you, when you learn how little benefit there is in, in, in swallowing fluoride, how little, how weak the evidence of any benefit, but let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's take the biggest survey of teeth ever done in the United States, which looked at 39,000 children, 84 communities, orchestrated by the National Institute of Dental Research. So this is their research. They found a, a difference in tooth decay between a child that had average children living all their lives in a floridated community and all their lives in a non-floridated community amounted to 0.6 of one tooth surface out of over 100 tooth surfaces in a child's mouth. Less than 1% of of saving in tooth decay. Now, that's in one scale pan. In the other scale pan, we have to put the fact that today 41% of American children aged 12 to 15 have their teeth and tooth enamel damaged by fluoride. It's a condition called dental fluorosis. We also have to put into the scale pan that up to 50% of the fluoride that we ingest each day accumulates in our bones. The first symptom of fluoride poisoning of the bones is just like arthritis. We have one in three Americans with arthritis. No one's investigating if there's any connection. As the fluoride continues in the bones, it makes the bones more brittle. We're concerned about hip fractures. The studies on that are mixed. We also know that doctors once upon a time used to use fluoride to lower thyroid function. We have an epidemic of hypo 
underactive thyroidism in this country. But again, no fluoridating country is investigating the possibility that there's a connection between everybody drinking fluoridated water and lowering uh, thyroid function. And we've mentioned IQ. We should also add that fluoride accumulates in the human pineal gland. And we have one study that indicates that fluoridation may actually be killing a few young men. Absolutely remarkable. And the saddest thing is that that only begins to scratch the surface of the incredible health effects of this toxic substance. So on that note, we'll come back and continue discussing fluoride right after this. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. This is Corporate Report Radio, and tonight we are talking to Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. And Dr. Conant, before the break, you made an interesting and important point that I'd like to, to spend a moment dwelling on, which, which was that fluoride, of course, is a naturally occurring compound and thus naturally occurs in the water supply to greater or lesser extents in various parts of the world. And you noted that a lot of the studies that have been done on the effects of fluoride on the IQ have come from places like China and India and Mexico, where there is a lot of naturally occurring, occurring fluoride in the water. Perhaps it's important to understand a little bit more about fluoride, what it is, and what it is that we're referring to when we talk about the fluoridation of the water supply. Yeah, unfortunately, just because something occurs naturally does not make it safe. Uh, arsenic occurs naturally. And as far as fluoride is concerned, millions of people in India, China, and some of the other countries you mentioned have had their lives wrecked by, by fluoride, their bones wrecked by, by fluoride. Um, yeah. Having said that, often when we get fluoride in our own drinking water, and if it, the average in the groundwater is about 0.1 parts per million. So when we, when we fluoridate, we're jacking it up by a factor of 10. There are, there are some places in the United States with higher levels than that. But again, the best indicator of what is natural fluoride for the baby is the level in mother's milk, and that is extremely low, 0.004 parts per million. So you, you've got a difference here. The level that you get in the water uh, is it depends upon the vagaries of what rocks the water has flown through. Some rocks have a lot of fluoride in it. Some have very little fluoride in it. But it's a kind of, you know, it's a, it's a toss-up how much fluoride you're going to get in the water. But as far as what, how much fluoride should go to a human being, particularly the youngest human beings, the baby, the best measure of that is the level in mother's milk. And that is extremely low, 0.004 parts per million. And even if you try to jack that up, even if you give the mother more fluoride, um, she will keep it out of the breast milk. The, the nature seems to have a mechanism of keeping it away from the newborn baby. And that's a, that's a red flag. That's a warning signal to us that that's a very stupid thing to do, to put fluoride in the water and give us this much greater dose than the baby would otherwise get. And unbelievably enough, we now see uh, water fluoridated for babies that are available at uh, supermarkets and things. Uh, it's, it's criminal. That's it, absolutely it, disgusting. And part of that 
is because the government agencies here, the federal agencies, are not doing their job. The FDA has never regulated fluoride for ingestion. It's still classified as an unapproved drug. And that means that fluoride, even though it's the most prescribed drug in American history, has never been through the randomized clinical trials that any other drug would go through for both effectiveness and for safety. Never been done. It also means that the FDA is not tracking side effects. To hell with those people that are sensitive to fluoride, which may be 1% or more of the population. The EPA is doing a lousy job. The NRC did a review of fluoride toxicity in 2006. They recommended that the EPA lower the safe drinking water standard. After five years, they haven't done that. They are not doing their job. In fact, in January the 7th last year, worse than that, they made it clear that in the process of determining the safe drinking water standard, they were going to protect the fluoridation program. Talk about nonsense. I mean, they were establishing that the teeth, apparently to them, are more important to our bones, more important than our bones, our brains, our endocrine system. Sheer, utter nonsense. And then we have the center of disease control absolutely um, in the pockets of the American Dental Association. Not the whole of the CDC, not the whole of the 20,000 people that work in Atlanta, Georgia. A lot of them are doing a good job. A lot of them are highly qualified. We're talking, when we talk about the CDC, in connection with fluoridation, we're talking about the oral health division. There's only 30 people, and they are dentally trained. There's hardly a toxicologist amongst them, hardly an MD amongst them, and yet newspaper editors and journalists and health officials around the fluoridating world treat this agency as the last word, the final word, the CDC says that fluoridation is one of the top ten public health achievements of the 20th century. Um, these agencies have let down the American public. And the shock to me, the shock to me is to, is to see science literally torn up in front of my face. And, and let, let me, you know, uh, James, that I think since we last talked, um, spoke, uh, I have published a book with two other scientists, three of us, a biologist, a physicist, and a chemist. And uh, one of the, the physicists is actually an MD as well. We wrote a book. It's called The Case Against Fluoride. It's understated, not overstated. It's transparent. Every single argument against fluoridation is thoroughly documented. There are 80 pages of references. Now, that was published in October of 2010. Here we are 15 months later. I had hoped that we would raise the level of debate, but we have not had a scientific response from the promoters of fluoridation to that book. I ask you, what's going on here? Well, it's a sad indictment of that, uh, that entire section of the, uh, the so-called scientific population, I guess. But on that note, we will come back right after this break with some ideas about how people can get involved and help make a difference in this matter. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Can our government... 
right, welcome back, friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on this Monday night, and tonight we're talking to Dr. Paul Conant of the Fluoride Action Network at FluorideAlert.org, going over the disastrous health effects that the fluoridation of the water supply is having, not not only in America, of course, but in other places around the world, and uh, and some of the hard-earned lessons that are being ignored by the so-called scientific community and the so-called government agencies that are supposed to be protecting the public from health hazards. And uh, and just before the break, Dr. Connett, you were mentioning the case against fluoride written, co-written with uh, Dr. James Beck and uh, Spedding Miklum. And I did have the honor of, uh, of interviewing Dr. Beck earlier uh, last year for, for CorbettReport.com talking about uh, the the taking out of the fluoride from the Calgary, Alberta water supply, which yeah. uh, is another hopeful thing that's that's come along recently. But uh, perhaps you can tell us a little more about that book and uh, how that came together. Well, um, it came out of frustration. I mean, I thought I, on the day that my wife introduced me to this subject, I remember walking to the council meeting and saying to her, this is going to be easy. When the counselors hear what I read this afternoon, there's no way they're going to continue this. <laughs> uh, seven and a half years later, we managed to get fluoride out of Canton, New York. It was not easy. Um, one doesn't live in a very rational world. Um, most doctors and dentists seem to be content to, to learn all this secondhand, uh, to just take the word of their professional bodies at face value, and not many journalists take the trouble to go below the surface. So I got more and more frustrated, and after about 15 years, I thought, to hell with it. I'm going to put down everything I know between two covers of the book, and then they can take it or leave it. There it is. It will be all documented, and fortunately I was able to get two other scientists to, to help me. They were terrific they, they, they made sure the tone was right, as I said before, understated, not overstated. And I really had hoped that we would raise the level of debate and we would force them to respond to the science, to the science that's out there in black and white, which we reference. But no, they just ignore it. And yet they continue to say that the people opposed to fluoridation are a bunch of crazies and we get all our science from the Internet and we don't know what we're talking about, or blah, 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 blah. Um, it's, very, it's very frustrating. But the good news, and you, you've alluded to it, this is an issue that is easy to end as turning off a tap, a spigot, at the public waterworks. But to turn off that tap, we need political will. And to get that political will, we need masses of people educated and organized. And, and programs like yours, James, is, is helping to to educate people. And the good news is that since October the 25th, 2010, which marks a turning point, it actually was the, is the Waterloo for water fluoridation. This is when, in a referendum, the citizens of Waterloo, Ontario, voted out fluoridation. October the 25th, 2010. Now, since then, with that Waterloo included, over 3 million people have been freed from water fluoridation. 43 communities have stopped fluoridation in Canada, in the United States, and New Zealand since that time. So if you live in the following countries, I know you go worldwide, if you live in New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, Malaysia, England, 
uh, Ireland, Canada, the United States, and a handful of other countries, Israel. Um, if you live in those fluoridated countries, then find out if your community is fluoridated and then get your friends together and get them organized and try to get the council to stop fluoridation. And, and you've got some wonderful tools. Uh, James, you've been kind enough to mention our webpage, fluoridealert.org. One of the things that you can find on our webpage is a videotape. It's a 28-minute videotape. It's called Professional Perspectives on Water Fluoridation. It's only 28 minutes, 15 scientists, including myself, explaining very simply why this is a very bad practice. In addition to that, you can find a one-sided sheet of information, 10 arguments against fluoridation. If you want more chapter and verse, you've got 50 reasons to oppose fluoridation. That's been updated. And then, of course, you've got our book. So, as I say, if you live in a fluoridated country, find out if your community is fluoridated and move heaven and earth to get it stopped. It's unnecessary. If you want fluoride, you've got it out there, fluoridated toothpaste, brush it on your teeth, spit it out, but don't force it on your other tissues of the body by swallowing it, and don't force it on people that don't want it. And if you live in a non-fluoridated country, we also need your help, especially if you are a professional in any field, if you're a doctor, if you're a dentist, if you're a scientist, if you're a lawyer, if you're an architect. And then if you're in the medical field, if you're, if you're a, a nurse, if you're the dental field, if you're a dental hygienist, if you're a pharmacist, we have a statement signed by over 4,000 4, professionals calling for an end to fluoridation worldwide. And the reason that's important is because many dentists and, in fact, doctors behind the scenes will tell us that they're against fluoridation. Well, being against fluoridation behind the scenes is useless and cowardly. Somebody's got to stand up to these bullies, these arrogant people who can't defend the issue in public. They can hardly defend it on paper. They can't respond to a, a scientifically-based book, and yet they continue to ram this, uh, literally ram this thing down our throats, insult us at every turn. We need help. We need help against these bullies. We've got to encourage dentists and doctors and scientists in this country to, one, read, R-E-A-D. If you've got a science degree, stop walking around the world thinking that the people opposed to fluoridation are a bunch of loony tunes and start reading the literature for yourself and, like me, get extremely embarrassed, extremely embarrassed, that you've fallen for this contract. Well, that's exactly right, and I think that's unfortunately part of the psychology that helps to ensure the status quo and the maintenance thereof, is that yeah. people just don't want to admit that they've been fooled into something for so long simply because they haven't brought themselves to actually look at the evidence. But I think yeah. it's important to stress, as you point out, that this is something that people can and are having an effect on, and as you point out, water fluoridation has already met its Waterloo, so uh, there is definitely a turning of the tide. And uh, let's let's talk about that for a moment, because of course it yeah. wasn't just Waterloo in Ontario, it was Calgary in Alberta, Canada, and um, many municipalities around the United States are either in the process of removing it or already have. Perhaps you can talk about some of the other successes that have already taken place. 
Well, Alaska has been tremendous. Alaska, Juno stopped. Um, Fairbanks stopped. Palmer stopped. We've had several communities in Texas stop. Several communities in Tennessee have stopped. It, it is really quite hard to to keep up with all the communities that have rejected, uh, taken fluoride out. It's been helped a little bit by the financial situation. People have been looking around for for ways of saving money, and they've seen this uh, uh, practice of putting a toxic substance in the drinking water, which costs money. <laughs> And they said, well, we could save a few pennies by, by not doing this. Yeah, they could also save some health costs by not doing it as well. Um, so the, there are a number of reasons. Um, and another thing which uh, got people very concerned was the fact that they discovered that some of the chemicals that are being put in are, are coming from China, and, and they seem to be contaminated. So that, that hasn't made people very happy. And then on January the 7th, 2010, um, people finally caught up with the fact that 41% of American kids have, uh, 41% of American children aged 12 to 15 have this condition called dental cirrhosis. And they're also black children and Mexican-American children are more sensitive to it. They'll have higher rates of dental cirrhosis. So we've got an environmental justice issue on top of all the other preposterous aspects of this of this practice. So people caught up with that when the on just January the seventh, Department of Health and Human Services and the EPA cuddled up together at a press conference and indicated that they were going to have to lower the recommended dose uh, from one point two parts per million down to point seven parts per million. Uh, that was the recommended dose uh, that you need apparently the recommended concentration to fight tooth decay. And, they, and the EPA also intimated that they were in the middle of, 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 of um, uh, determining a new safe drinking water standard, which, which if they did the science correctly, and, uh, that would be a miracle if the EPA Water Division could apps to do something honestly and accurately and objectively could actually determine uh, a scientifically based uh, maximum contaminant level goal, which is the science-based goal, if they could do that properly, then it would eliminate fluoridation tomorrow because it would have to be less than one part per million. It would have to be less than 0.7 parts per million. And that, as I say, would end fluoridation tomorrow, but they just don't have the guts to do it. They, they will not stand up against the huge um, power of the Department of Health and Human services well perhaps you can it's uh, it certainly is but perhaps you can give us an uh, a better understanding of how this this uh the fluoridation is actually being taken out in some of these municipalities is this coming out as the result of plebiscites or is this something that's initiated by uh concerned uh, uh, physicians and, and medical workers in, in those areas or what's the process by it, which it, this it, is happening it's a it's a mixture in some cases, the um, citizens are taking this to the council. The council discuss it and decide to vote it out. Sometimes it's coming from the water department. There are many people working in the water departments who do not like uh, this chemical. It corrodes the equipment. They're frightened of what it does to their own health. They have to wear hazmat suits to handle this, this stuff. They also don't feel that they should be playing doctor to the community. They think their job is to provide 
the cleanest and purest water that they they can, and any chemical that they add to the water is to make it safe and not to use the public water supply to deliver medicine. They don't see that as their brief. So it's, some of the movement is coming from the water division, uh, water departments, and, and and occasionally we get some professionals getting in there when they become enlightened. They're shocked, just as I was shocked, and and suggest that it it stop. And sometimes people get so aggrieved that they organize to get it on the ballot, to have have a referendum. And then the citizens voted out. In the case of Calgary, it was a very enlightened city council. And they were... What typically happens, James, when this comes to a head, is that the first council meeting after the council announced that they're talking about this issue, the council chambers are flooded by dentists who are mobilized by their local dental society, in turn mobilized by the American Dental Association, etc., maybe a handful of pediatricians, some state health officials, and they will all come marching in wearing their white coats and literally intimidating the councillors. We're your professionals. We've been doing this for many, many years. It's perfectly safe. It's perfectly effective. And if you stop now, you'll be you'll be punishing poor children. Uh, they love the pull on the heartstrings of we are having to fluoridate for poor children. Nothing could be further from the, the from the truth here, because as far as families of low income are concerned, they are the people that can't afford to avoid fluoride if they don't want it. They can't afford bottled water, reverse osmosis equipment, etc., etc., etc. So you've trapped these families of low income. And then secondly, we know that fluoride is a toxic substance and it's more dangerous if you have poor nutrition. And where are you more likely to find poor nutrition in the United States? Answer, families of low income. So you trap them and you, they're more vulnerable. And I've already mentioned that uh, the minorities are more vulnerable. Black and Mexican-American uh, families are more vulnerable. So, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of... If you go to Chapter 25 of our book, The Case Against Fluoride, you get it from Amazon.com, Chelsea Green's the publisher. Go to Chapter 25. We tackle head-on 40 of the traditional chestnuts that promoters use to promote fluoridation. And one of them is just that. We have to do this for poor children. And if we stop, it's going to cause a, a, a calamity amongst the tooth decay in our, in our kids. And again, it doesn't happen. The, the modern studies from Finland, from Cuba, from East Germany, from British Columbia, communities when they've stopped fluoridation, tooth decay has not gone up. It's continued to go down. Absolutely. And as, of course, as you mentioned earlier, dental fluorosis can be a problem when there's too much fluoride in the water supply. But on that note, we do have one caller who's waiting to get in on the conversation and has been waiting patiently, Chris from Florida. Uh, Chris, what's on your mind tonight? Well, thank you very much, James and Doctor. I, I'm so honored to be able to speak with you. Um, and uh, also gratified that uh, we were part of uh, the effort here in Pinellas County, Florida, uh, this past October 4th, 2011, to stop the water fluoridation for the county. And uh, you can see that we are changetampa.org website 
for uh, more information on, on those uh, seeds of change that were sown and uh, those who spoke. But, um, you know, it, the point needs to be made, I think, more often that this is not forced medication, but it's toxification under the false pretext of medication. And um, one of the points I never did have a chance to point out, uh, but I uh, encourage others to at their hearings uh, trying to end the fluoridation is to ask those who are pro-water fluoridation whether they have had a blood, hair, and nail toxicity test to show the courage of their convictions or at least some kind of curiosity as to whether they have been overexposed and those who they would like to see treated uh, or whether they've been overexposed. And, and while they're at it, they should also, um, if they believe that uh, fluoride ought to be a nutrient, uh, ought to be on, you know, on the FDA's RDA, that uh, they should have a nutritional blood analysis as well. And, uh, you know, that's what I would address to the uh, dental professionals who are so pro-water fluoridation. And some of them uh, would point out uh, that uh, your dental enamel is made of fluoride hydroxyapatite. Well, of course it is if, if you're exposed to too much fluoride or to, to fluoride that uh, your body uptakes. But uh, in the mid-1990s, we find that the Federal Trade Commission approved that the originators of microcrystalline hydroxyapatite, or MCHC, the originators of that supplement uh, called ethical nutrients, are allowed to make the claim that uh, it improves bone density up to 30%, and, uh, of course, there are now other brands uh, offering MCHC. And, you know, not to be anti-fluoride, uh, there is homeopathic calcium fluoride or calcium fluoride, but that's, of course, Indeed, very much. In fact, yes, that's an important point, many different types of fluoride. Well, let me thank you for getting involved in that fight and helping to get it out of another community, but we'll, we're on a, up against a break, so let's take a short break. We'll be right back. We're back here on Corporate Report Radio in the final moments of tonight's broadcast. Of course, we've been talking to Dr. Paul Connett of the Fluoride Action Network at fluoridealert.org. Just before the break, we were talking to Chris from Florida, who was making a number of very important points, including the point that uh, that absolutely we we may the the term forced medication may be used, but of course, what we're talking about is forced toxification, which is an important point to keep in mind. So, uh, Chris, you made some great points there before the break, and I understand you have a question for Dr. Conant in the closing minutes here. Well, yeah, just uh, before I ask one, one uh, other question, I, I mean, one other point that before that question is, is that it's, uh, it, it needs to be pointed out that it's against international law, this uh, toxification. It's against the Hague Convention, the Helsinki Rule, the Nuremberg Principles, and Geneva Conventions, uh, against the prohibitions to deprive a civilian population of a needed resource, whether it's through this toxification or grossly overcharging. And um, and my question is, uh, with the uh, chloramine issue or chlorine uh, issue uh, as well, uh, it ties in uh, to reduce the uh, the use of uh, the, the chemicals to uh, disinfect the water. Um, we could use things like um, ionization of the water, ozonation, or ultraviolet uh, light exposure. Some uh, municipalities are doing that, but that would also help break down, uh, you know, decompose the toxins as well as uh, disinfect and, of course, it would be health-promoting, uh, providing um, uh, higher alkalinity to the water, which is the, their objective, really. They, they, they add lye to the water to realkalinize it and prevent the pipes and fittings from rusting. So they could do that through the ionization and ozonation, and uh, it would be health-promoting, providing an antioxidant effect as well. So I want to 
wanted to know um, what's your opinion on that. And uh, there's an interesting site called chloramine.org, citizens concerned about chloramine. And uh, they, you know, they talk and talk about all the terrible uh, carcinogenic effects of chloramine. But um, you know, the ionization, ionization, ozonation, and UV light are are, uh, are seem like natural solutions to me. Yeah. <clears throat> well, first of all, let me uh, give you one piece of science which is interesting. Um, a scientist called Mars M A A S showed that in chloramine in conjunction with fluoridating chemicals increases the leaching of lead from brass fittings on pipes. So there's there's an interesting bit of chemistry. Chloramine in the presence of fluoridating chemicals increases the the solution of lead from, from pipes uh, or pipe, pipe fittings. Um, the problem with ozonation, as far as I can understand it, is, or, or, or rather the benefits of chlorination, is that it protects the water from all the way along the pipe. And some of these other processes, you need to do it in series. You need to, uh, you know, re, redo it. Uh, chlorine has a way of, of, of protecting the water throughout, throughout the system. And, of course, there is a big difference between chlorination and fluoridation. Chlorination, you're trying to make the water safe to drink. There are some downsides. You have some chlorinated byproducts, which are carcinogenic. No question about that. But the number of people that you save, the lives that you save, um, the risk-benefit analysis is very heavily in favor of chlorination versus doing nothing. What they would, what the, the, the risk benefit analysis would be comparing chlorination with ozonolysis or another technique is, um, that's a different, different matter. But in the case of fluoridation, the risk benefit analysis is hugely in, uh, overbalanced by the huge risk that we're taking for very, very little benefit. And again, to remind you, that if fluoride has any benefit of the teeth at all, it is topical. It's a chemical reaction between the fluoride ion and the mineral of the tooth. It doesn't do you any good to swallow it. Uh, it would be like drinking sunscreen to prevent a sunburn. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We're right up against the end of the program. But, Dr. Cornett, once again, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge on this issue. It's vital information, so I'm glad we could get it out to people. Once again, Fluoride Action Network, fluoridealert.org. Please go there today.